Thank you, sir. Have your Bibles tonight. Be turning over to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little rundown of how we're going to handle some things tonight. Uh, when we get through with the message and have dismissal prayer, Sister Renee, if you'll remind me, if I forget it, we'll come to the altar and have that special prayer uh, and closing prayer at the same time. And then if anybody is not interested in staying for the business meeting, you'll be dismissed. But those that want to stay a few moments for the business meeting, we've got a couple of items we need to talk about, and we'll do it right quick. And uh, then uh, we'll go home, or wherever you go, want to go when you leave here. And uh, so, uh, you found your, found your place in your Bibles at First Peter chapter 5, if you'll Look down at verse 8 and stand with us. We're going to read just a few verses there. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you suffer a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Father, we thank you this afternoon, Lord, for the opportunity once again of standing here. We pray, Lord, for the needed strength and the needed wisdom, Lord, the clearness of mind to deliver your message that you'd have us to deliver today. Bless each one that's gathered here. Stir the hearts of your children. And Father, if there'd be one here that doesn't know your son, might tonight be the time they'd be led unto him while there's still opportunity. We ask now that you'll have your sweet way in the service, in every heart, in every life. In Christ's name, amen. I want to speak tonight on the subject of living a successful and happy life. Now, I think that anyone that uh, is sitting here tonight or anyone you run into would say, man, I'd like to have that. I'd like to have a successful, happy life filled with joy and contentment. And God tells us how we can do that. He didn't say that we'd be trouble-free and... Uh, didn't say there wasn't any storms coming to our lives, but he said, I can tell you how that you could live uh, with peace and joy and contentment. We're going to try by the help of the Holy Spirit of God tonight to look into his word and find the answer to that problem. Now, I've always been convinced if you want to do something, you find someone that's done that job before and been successful at it. And so if I want to live a happy, successful life and know what pleases God, then I start looking at what Jesus, the example that Jesus Christ set for us while he was here upon the earth. And Peter here, that is the pensman of this book, but we know that God's the author. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. Some of those pensmen wrote down things they didn't understand. But God told them what to say, and they never questioned God. They just set it down. 
And uh, that's the way we ought to be. There was, uh, there's no doubt a few uh, fellows here that was in World War II, and I never was there, but I've heard a lot of those guys talk about the way it was in the service in those days. And they had a little saying, and it said that mine is not to question the reason why. Mine is simply to do or die. And I don't think it's that way in the military anymore, Brother Luther, but that's the way it was in those days. And that's the way it ought to be with you and I, with the Lord, when he says something, we ought not to come up with a lot of excuses why we can't do it or why we think that's not the right thing to do. We ought to just accept what God says and launch out to do it and leave the results up to him. And so there's never been one more successful than this omniscient one, this one who knows everything. Now, I've met some people who thought they knew everything, but uh, Jesus Christ does. And uh, Brother Chris said he thought he knew everything. But I've got, I've got a word of, to the wise to him, and I'll share it with him after church. But anyway, Jesus Christ is the omniscient one. He's the all-knowing one. He's the omnipotent one. He's the one that has all power. There's some things I would like to do that I simply don't have the power to do. I don't have the authority to do. I tell you, if I had the authority, there's a lot of things going on in the United States wouldn't be going on. And there's a lot of things not going on in the United States that'd be going on if I had the authority. But Jesus Christ is the omnipotent one. And then Jesus Christ is the sovereign one. Man, if I, if I were to envy a characteristic of Christ, it'd be this one. Sovereign means that everything is always in his control. And there's just a lot of times in my life things have gotten out of control. I don't know where to go, which way to turn, what to do. But I like this. I've used it several times. And I like this. Jesus Christ has never walked the floor and wrung his hand and said, I wonder what's going to happen. He's always got everything under control. And even though I can't meet those attributes of him, I can strive for them. And I can rest in the assurance that if he's with me, those things are available unto me. And so it is that he's the one that we look to for our instruction. And our lesson text tonight, if you'll read the rest of that chapter, you'll find out that it's set not only to the elders, but it's set to young folk as well. All of us are included in this thing of living successful for the Lord. That's the privilege that's available. Regardless of your financial standing or your educational level or uh, whatever that might be the thing that you think hinders you, the, the uh, power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the uh, access to him is available to all. And so we kind of got everything uh, going like we think it ought to be going and he says then to us, there's something you need to do. What do you need to do? 
You need to be sober. Somebody says, I stay sober all the time. I never drink. Well, that's not what God's talking about. Now, God certainly expects us to stay sober as far as drinking wine or any kind of an alcoholic beverage, but that's not what he means here in 1 Peter. He means we're to be serious-minded. Now, I like jokes as well as anybody. Uh, I like to laugh. Uh, Sometimes I tell stories on Brother Rogers. I don't tell all that I know. And I'm not going to tell all I know because he's done warned me not to. But I like to laugh sometimes and have some fun. But when it comes to the things of God, we need to be serious. Uh, We need to make sure that people understand that when we talk to them about God and God's Word, that we're not joking around. You know, it doesn't matter a whole lot what I think. Uh, Barry gave me a little business card one time, and I can't remember exactly what it said, but I gave out a lot of them. In fact, I gave out about all I had. It said something like this, If you meet me and forget, you haven't lost anything. But if you meet Jesus Christ and forget, you've lost everything. And so we need to be serious about this matter of propagating the gospel to a lost and dying world. And we need to be serious about the matter of uh, encouraging uh, Christians that are weaker. And so God said you be sober. Be serious about this thing. And then he said be vigilant. Now what is, you know we read these words a lot of times and we say well I'm familiar with that. I've heard it all my life and somebody says what does it mean? And we'll say, duh, uh, uh, uh. But vigilant, it means that we're to be watchful, alert to danger. And we're going to tie all this together in a moment. Alert to danger. Over in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 15 says, we're to walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly means watchful on all sides. Sometimes I've thought about the point man in the military that goes out in front of the platoon and and, uh, he's watching ahead and he's watching on both sides and he's looking for snipers and so forth. He's got to be watchful. Sometimes I see these hunters go out, you know, and and, uh, they'll start looking for some kind of game and man, they're just looking in every direction. Sometimes they'll walk right over what they're hunting for, but uh, there, there was, I saw a, a document, documentary, I can't say the word, on TV about deer hunting. And they caught a lot of these deers and they tagged them with a tracking device. And they turned them loose and put hunters out there in the woods. Now, I'd like to see them do that on coons, brother, but uh, they didn't have one on coons. They, this was on deer. And those hunters would walk within... 10 foot of a deer and never see or hear it. It'd just get up there in that undergrowth and just stand real still and that hunter just walk out there and that deer just stand there and the hunter walk by. But no doubt he was looking and uh, searching for that deer. And God said we're to be vigilant in our walk for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said here's the reason for our 
sober, vigilant walk. And I think all the time we forget this so often. He said, you've got an adversary. You've got an adversary. We're in a, whether you know it or not, we're in a spiritual battle. And uh, God's saying here, I want you to understand you've got an adversary. If you're one of God's children, you've got an adversary. And he's after you every waking moment. And, uh, he said here, now I won't tell you who the adversary is. The adversary is the devil. Now he's not, my adversary is not Rex Jones. We fight every once in a while, but he's not my adversary. I'm just kidding about that. We don't. But the devil is our adversary, and the devil likes to work incognito. You remember when he came to Eve, he incarnated himself into the serpent. And I'm told that that serpent in those days were one of the most beautiful of all God's creation. And I believe that because that sounds just exactly like the devil. If you go down the road and you'll see advertisement of some kind of an alcoholic beverage, you won't never see that old alcoholic that's laying over there behind the sideboard in his own vomit. You'll see a big sleek car sitting here with a handsome young man standing there. Or you'll see a, a boat with a uh, almost unclad lay, uh, woman, be almost said lady, woman standing by uh, and uh, so the, the devil has uh, a way of presenting himself as being something beautiful and desirable and exciting that appeals to us human beings and so God wants us to know that we've got an adversary and that adversary is the devil and he also wants us to, wants us to know that the devil walks about. He goes to and fro, up and down in the earth. He walks about, and he walks about as a roaring lion. Now, I don't know much about lions, and I know all I want to know if I've got to learn it by personal experience. I don't mind reading books about them, but I don't want to learn anything about them personally. But I've read in the book that a lion only roars when he's ready to attack. And so what does that say to me? The devil is walking about every day ready to attack. And I can tell you where he's going to attack you. He's going to attack you at your weakest point. There's something that the devil can use on you that probably wouldn't hurt me one bit. And there's something that the devil could use on me that probably wouldn't bother you at all. But the devil knows where our weak points are. And then that old sly deceiver will catch you at your weakest moment and attack your weakest place. He's a master at what he does. He's been doing it for 6,000 years. He's a master at it. He knows more about God than you know about God. Because he was in that determinate counsel of God when God the Son and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit sat out and said, this is what we're going to do. 
Lucifer was there. And so he walks about every day trying to trip you up, trying to put a pitfall out there to catch you, trying to put a snare out there that you'll step into. And he said, you're an adversary. The devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then he says, here's something you need to do because that he's going about uh, trying to seek who he, whom he may devour. He said, resist him. Resist the devil and draw nigh to God and God draw nigh to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now don't misunderstand what God said there. He didn't say he'll run away and stay away. He'll run off out there a little piece and he'll stop and just wait till you kind of calm down a little bit and get away from God a little bit and here he'll come back. And But we need to resist the devil. The Bible says, stud fast. What does it mean when it says we need to resist him stud fast? Well, to be stud fast is to be firm. Resist the devil firmly. Old Daniel, the Bible says, he purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile his body with the king's meat and the king's wine. He purposed in it. He made up his mind. And I'll tell you, you'll never have any success for God until you make up your mind, regardless of where you are, regardless of the crowd you're with, you're going to stand steadfast against the devil. And you can only do that in the power and might of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, resist him in the faith. That's one of my favorite weapons. That If you go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, begin to read about the armor of God, and he gives several defensive uh, pieces of armor there. And uh, my favorite one is found in the 16th verse. And the Bible says, above all, after you put on the, uh, have your loins girded with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness, all those things, he said, above all, most important of all, he said, you get that shield of faith that you might be able to stop the fiery darts of the wicked, the wicked one, the devil. And that's because it's a movable part. Man, if the devil attacks you over here, you can put that shield out there. And all of a sudden, he comes from this side, just turn around, put that shield out there. Faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And so we resist the devil steadfast in faith. And then he goes on to talk about, he said, you're not the only one. I'm paraphrasing this, of course. You're not the only one that ever had to face these obstacles and these conditions. He said, uh, your brethren have done the same thing. Now, I read that and I thought about James. He talked about Elijah. James said Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. Old Elijah had the same desires and the same temptation that we've got. He just stood firm for God. He steadfastly resisted the devil. Now, I'm not going to get into this tonight, but old Elijah, he, uh, Elisha asked for a double portion of what Elijah had, and, and he said, if you'll catch my mantle, you can have it. And Elisha caught it, and Elijah did exactly twice as much as Elijah ever did, 
but he was overshadowed so much about Elijah. We never preached about Elisha much. But he was an individual that steadfastly resisted the devil. Now, notice verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us, the God of all grace. Did you get that? We talked here one evening not too long ago about the difference in mercy and grace. Now, this may not do anything for you, but I love it. I I tell myself about this uh, several times a day sometimes. Mercy is what God withholds from me that I deserve. Now, whether you admit it or not, we all deserve to go to hell. All of us have been enemies of God. All of us have rebelled against God. We deserve hell. God keeps it away. And there's a lot of things I would say in this life that we deserve, if the truth be told, that God keeps from happening to us. Aren't you glad that God was gracious unto you when you was lost and, and following the devil and running wild and following the old wild goose and, and God still loves you enough to watch over you? Aren't you glad for that? That's God's mercy. But then we're talking about the God of all grace. He's kind of set that behind now and he wants to talk about grace and grace is he gives to us that which we do not deserve. Amen? I mean, what does God give us? First thing he gives us is salvation. I'm glad God's provided me a home in heaven. I don't deserve it. But I'm glad he made it possible for me to get there. And I know one day for sure, upon the authority of God's word, I've got a mansion waiting, amen? I'll be able to stroll down the street of gold by the crystal river that flows from the throne of God. Why? Because of God's grace. Here's the God of all grace. Heaven. Heaven is a home and blessings in this life. God gives us a lot of things we don't deserve to have, amen? I, I remember reading in the book of Ruth, and, and of course Boaz is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and uh, uh, Ruth was a, a type of the New Testament church. And... Uh, Boaz goes out there to the servants, which is a type of the Holy Spirit. And he said, boys, you see that girl back there, that Gentile girl back there? He said, every once in a while, just drop her a, hand, a handful on purpose. Just give them a handful of blessings on purpose sometimes, just because of who they are. So he said, the God of all grace that called us. Now, what did God call us for? To his eternal glory. And you know all the things we've talked about, God has, has prepared for us. And on top of that, we're heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, I could take that call to his uh, eternal glory, and I could just stay there and preach another message on that. What, what a wonderful privilege that God's given us to be partners with him and bringing people unto salvation. God alone can save, but God never saves alone. God's the only one that can save, but he won't save unless we carry the word to those who don't know it and give the Holy Spirit something to work with in their heart. Give the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now we've got the foundation laid. We're ready for the message. 
Somebody says, oh, me. <laughs> he said, after you've suffered a little while. How many people in here like suffering? I'm not raising my hand. I, I don't like suffering. But I'll tell you, you ought to read Philippians 3.10 sometime. You know, we get excited about the resurrection, and we ought to. The power of the resurrection, Paul said there to the Philippians. And what a wonderful power that is that Christ came forth with the keys to death and hell. And because he raised, we can raise. That's the power of the resurrection. But then he says, and the fellowship of his suffering. You want to really come to the place where you know God? The old Apostle Paul, a lot of times we talk about coming to know God, we, we talk about getting saved, and certainly that's an ap, uh, a good applied uh, phrase. But Paul said after he was saved, he said that I may know him. What was he said? I want to know him a little bit better. If you want to get to know Christ a little bit better, you go through some suffering. You know, God has never really used anybody until he's broken this spirit. As long as I'm walking around saying, God, I know how to do this thing. And I'm talking now, Brother Bobby, not only from the Bible, but from experience. God, I know how to do this thing. And uh, God has to step you down from that. And uh, when he gets you to the place where you don't know how to do You can't accomplish anything. And then you realize through him you can accomplish everything. Then you'll come to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. And then he says here, the Apostle Paul, let me throw this in as an extra bit. It won't cost anything. Paul said over in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, he said, I glory in my infirmities. You know why? Because he learned that he come closer to the Lord because of his suffering. But let me hurry along. He said, and then after you've suffered a little while, God will make you perfect. He didn't say sinless. He meant he'd make you mature. Now here again, we could stay here for a pretty good while. There's a lot of people in our churches today that's never grown up spiritually. You know, we look back here at these little babies and everybody, oh, they're so sweet and wonderful and we just love them so just because they're little babies. But 10 years from now, Brother Chris, if little baby Adam is still just like he is today, you're going to get concerned. You're going to be running him to doctors. You're going to be trying to find out why he's not growing. But Christians come into the family of God as newborn babes and stay there for 40 years and nobody gets concerned. You see, the preacher was talking this morning about the commission over in, in Matthew 28. You get them saved, you get them baptized, and then you teach them. And we're pretty good about getting, getting folks saved. I mean, we really emphasize that. And... Uh, but we're good Baptists. We kind of get afraid of that baptism part. But you see, after you get them saved, God said, get them baptized. Get them down that aisle. Get them in that pool. doesn't have anything to do with their salvation. It's not essential, but it's important. 
And then he said, you begin to teach them, and we completely fail at that. And so God said, you'll be mature. He'll make you mature. Then he says, establish you or establish you. And establish means to ordain or appoint. You know, after that you get saved and you begin to grow, God has something for you to do. I don't know what God's got for you to do. But I'll tell you, if you want to, God will tell you what he wants you to do. And God has a plan for your life. He'll establish you in the work that he wants you to do. And we need to just do what God wants us to do and not get excited and run out here and try to do something God's never called us to do. Be satisfied where God calls us, where God places us, where God ordains for us to be. Then he says he'll strengthen you. And man, I've learned more about that physical strengthening in the last year than I ever thought about knowing. Because there's been a lot of times I've had to say, God, just give me a little strength. Get up here and start to preach in the first uh, ten minutes or so, I think, man, I'm never going to get through today. And then God touches me and renews my strength. And I get through. But you know, I pray in the prayer room for the men all the time. And these men.